book of Isaiah, if you have a Bible, you to turn there. And we're going to spend the first part of our study today doing more of an introduction to the book. Sometimes I'll just kind of jump into a series, um, watching a movie with my kids, uh, and I don't know what's going on, I don't know what's uh, happening, I'm uh, like in episode three, and they've already watched the other ones, and so I have to tell them, or ask them, hey, can you tell me what's going on, what's the background here, what, what do I need to know to better understand this movie, and that's what we kind of need to do before we dive into the book of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah is a book that is very, um, it, it's very correcting, if, you, if you'll see that, but it's very comforting. And so if you're here today and maybe you've messed up, maybe you've fallen, maybe you've been struggling, the book of Isaiah is kind of a good book to, to kind of say, okay, we'll reach you there and we want you to get up. We want you to go forward in your relationship with God. I was thinking about that, that Dutch runner. Her name is Sifan Hassan. Uh, maybe you guys heard of it. Did you guys hear about her? Uh, in the 1500 meter heat in the Olympics, she fell down and then she got up and she won the race. Any of you guys hear about that? I mean, it's amazing. It's almost unheard of in the middle of an Olympic race. You fall down, you get up, and then you win the race. It's an amazing story. But it reminds me of what God can do. Like maybe you're here and things have not turned out just right. Maybe you're here and you've actually slipped and fallen. It's not over yet. You want to know why? Because if God is for us, who can be against us? God can wash away our sins. And you'll see that in the book of Isaiah, God can actually give you a new beginning. And so it's kind of cool that gal, uh, she fell down, uh, she got up, she won the heat, and then that uh, night she ran in the 5,000 uh, meter race and she won the gold. Imagine that. Talk about a resilient heart, and I guess she's up for two more gold medals. And so encouragement for us, we're going to see that in the book of Isaiah, which is really an amazing book. Uh, Warren Wiersbe has a commentary on the book of Isaiah. It's called Be Comforted. Be Comforted. Because we need that. You know, we're hurting, we're struggling, we fall down, we mess up. God's going to say, hey, get right in your relationship with me and find the embrace of the Lord. That word is found 14 times in the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, is kind of a, a, the, like the staple verse as far as that goes, where he says, comfort, yes, comfort my people, says God. And so God wants to comfort you. God wants to encourage you. You know, but what if, Manny, what if, they're, what if they're in sin? Or what if they're here and they're half-hearted? What if they're here and they're just religious? Or what if they're actually headed for judgment? That's then when Isaiah would say, first let's confront and then we can comfort. Because what God wants to do at first is deal with those sins and then maybe what he wants to do is then put us in a right relationship with God. And then when you're in a right relationship with God, then you will find comfort. And so, Oscar, you might want to turn the gain down just a little bit, the gain. But, you know, um, what, I, what I would encourage you guys to, to do, what I had to do is I'm reading through the book of Isaiah now, and as I'm studying it, is I had to just kind of get with the Lord and ask the Lord, Lord, where am I? You know, I, I know I'm a pastor. I know I've been walking with you for 30 years. I know I've read the Bible. I know I've gone to Bible college. I've even taught in Bible college. It doesn't matter, Lord. Because what I'm seeing in the book of Isaiah is it doesn't matter if you're religious. It doesn't matter if you're a priest or, you know, you do all the sacrifices. It doesn't matter, like, if you pray all the time. God says if your heart's not right, your, your prayer is an abomination. And so what I had to do as I'm going through it, I'm like, Lord, show me where I'm at. You know, really show me where I am in my relationship with you. Because as I'm reading through the book of Isaiah, Lord, I'm getting convicted. And so um, I would ask you guys to do the same thing. Yeah, maybe, you know, you, you never really think about it too much because maybe, you know, you feel like you're, you're fine and dandy and stuff, but maybe it's because a lot of times we're measuring things on whatever, you know, the Calvary Chapel standard. And, and God says, that's not how it works. Not like, well, you went to church, you read your Bible, you prayed, you know, and all that kind of stuff. There's deeper than that. 
So I would encourage you, in all honesty, ask God where you are in your walk with him. And some of you guys are probably in right relationship. Um, I mean, but we all have areas that we need to work on. And so um, we're going to see this. God, we're going to see it tonight. He's like, I'm fed up with your church stuff when it's not really done with the heart that's right. You know, Isaiah, you guys are going to see, is an awesome book. It's flooded with prophecies. As a matter of fact, it's so remarkable that the New Testament quotes Isaiah's prophecies more than all the other prophets put together. Think about that. And so, you know, something else that's really encouraging or really fascinating is that 90% of the New Testament's 260 chapters quote from Isaiah's writings. So you're going to see as you get into this book that um, you're going to understand so much about prophecy. Uh, I have this one sheet, and I don't know if you guys have anything like this. It's a really good resource. It's 365 messianic prophecies, okay, 365 from the Old Testament that are just solid. They're not vague. They're solid, right? And out of the 365 prophecies, 131 of them are from Isaiah. And so we're going to see it's a book filled with prophecy. And so let me give you guys the, the, the reporter's questions, uh, kind of a background, the who, what, where, when, why, and how, and then we'll dive into the book, okay? Because I want you guys, I think it'll help us to better understand the book if we know a little bit about what's going on, okay? So first question is who? And his name, the writer's name is Isaiah. It means Yahweh has saved. Um, and so you're like, well, wait a minute, what's the difference between Yahweh has saved and, and Yahweh saves, or Yahweh is salvation, that's Jehovah, or Yehovah, and in the, in the Hebrew language, it's Yeshayahu, uh, Yeshayahu, that's how you say it. And so we don't know much about I Isaiah's personal life. In, in verse 1, we're going to see he's identified as the son of Amos. He lived in Jerusalem. And how many of you, did you guys know Isaiah was married? He was married to a prophetess. It says in chapter 8, verse 3, he had two sons. They each had symbolic names. One was Shir Jashub and the other Meher Shalal Hashbaz. And so those are funny names, huh? But they're gonna see, we're going to see they're significant. Um, Jewish tradition says that Isaiah's father, Amos, was actually a brother of King Amaziah, who was the father of Uzziah, thus making Isaiah a cousin, actually, of King Uzziah. And so, remember in Isaiah chapter 6, how many of you guys are familiar with Isaiah chapter 6? Raise your hand if you would. You guys know what I'm talking about. Where uh, the, the Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. Remember when? It was in the, the, the year that King Uzziah had died. So Uzziah, according to rabbinic tradition, was Isaiah's cousin. And so, it, you know, you kind of get a little bit more when you look into the background tradition. Even the Talmudic tradition tells us that Isaiah was actually martyred under King Manasseh by being sawn in two in the trunk of a carob tree. And so we're going to see he, he's an amazing prophet. He is like the Paul of the Old Testament. Some even call him the Shakespeare of the Old Testament. I mean, his ministry may have spanned 60 years, maybe 50 years, and he was just right on with the Lord. And when Manasseh, he was the son of Hezekiah, came into power, he persecuted Isaiah. Some say that it happened like this, that Isaiah actually hid in the tree, and they just commanded him to cut down the tree, and that's when they cut him in half. But, but what a way to die. You know, the book of Hebrews eleven thirty seven. it talks about some that didn't experience the success of the world. It says they were stoned, they were sawn in two. It says in Hebrews eleven thirty seven, and and all these other things. And so imagine dying by being sawn in two after six decades of faithful ministry. And you know, one of the interesting things, and we're not there yet, but you will see in Isaiah chapter 6, when like the Lord appeared to him, imagine receiving a calling from God and he appears to you and the glory of the whole thing. And he says, hey, you know, I, I, who will go for me? Who, who, who will go for us? And then Isaiah says, eventually, when, here am I, send me. And, and imagine, you know, you receive the glorious vision and you're going to think, well, then it's going to be an amazing ministry. But it wasn't. It wasn't this 
in, in men's eyes, like the successful ministry, he said, go, and I just want you to know in advance, Isaiah, that no one's going to listen to you. Imagine that. Going into ministry, and you're going to talk, you're going to be three years uh, walking naked, you know, in their vernacular. I mean, you do that for God. Imagine that. We like to dress up. We like to dress our certain clothes. And we look at John the Baptist, and we think, oh, that guy, you know, he didn't really worry too much about clothes. He was in camel's hair and all that kind of stuff. But Isaiah went three years barefoot and naked. Imagine that. But that's who we're talking about here, an amazing man. No, who? And then, and then what? What is the book of Isaiah? We'll spend a lot of time on this. The book of Isaiah is the first of what teachers call the prophetical books. Okay, so when you look at the Old Testament, it's divided up into three sections. You have the historical books, you have the poetical books, and you have the prophetical books. And I think we have a little chart here uh, for you to see. And you'll see from Genesis to Esther is 17 books. Those are the historical books. That tell you everything that's going on. And then Job, uh, we see through Song of Solomon, five more books. You guys, we, we just got done with that. And that was tough, that last book, uh, Song of Solomon. But now we're getting into the prophetical books. And I tell you what, because some people are like, oh, I can't figure out you know, the prophetical books. I don't know about Zechariah, Malachi, you know, or Hosea, or Amos, or Ezekiel, or Jeremiah, Isaiah. just kind of mumbles all together. And God says, no, I want you to know those things. It's important for us. We start now in the prophetical books. But something to take into consideration, remember this, just because the books of the Bible are categorized like that, it doesn't necessarily mean that they don't overlap in different ways. They actually do overlap historically and categorically. Even though like books such as Isaiah is categorized in that way, um, you have uh, oftentimes things you know, mingling together. So you're going to see poetry and prophecy in the historical books. You're going to see that. You're also going to see history and prophecy in the poetical books. And oh, you're going to see, I know you guys get the picture, history and poetry in the prophetical books. And so, you know, you got to know they mingle together, but it is important to keep the book in context. They are to be considered categorically. And so Isaiah is primarily prophecy. It's prophetic in foretelling the future. We're going to see that. And then in foretelling the present. Isaiah is primarily a prophecy in foretelling the future through God and is prophetic in foretelling the present mind of God. And so a prophet, according to Deuteronomy 18, could not make any mistakes. He would tell the future. It would come to pass. As a matter of fact, one of the prophecies so amazing by Isaiah is he named the king of Persia, uh, 96 years before he even came into 96 years before he came into power. Or, no, that's the Babylonian uh, prophecy. He named King Cyrus, man, way in advance, and I'll have to get the exact number for you, before he was even born, that he would be the one to issue the decree for the Israelites to be uh, able to set, be set free and go back into the land. And so he has a lot to say, we're going to see in the, in the prophetic aspect, and so it's foretelling, but it's also forthtelling. And, you know, to be prophetic would be like God's voice now. God's voice for the church now. God's voice for his people now. What do they need to hear? And it's kind of cool because um, Isaiah was that. We're going to see it in, in such a beautiful way. It was prophetic in every sense of the word. It has a lot of symbolism, and, and it's uh, just poetic, but it's also a heavy book, and I want to warn you guys about that, okay? As we go into it, you're going to see, um, man, he, he doesn't pull any punches. You know, he, he gets into things like pride. He gets into things like idolatry. You know, he gets into the way that a lot of times people are not just as Christians, and so he's going to talk about things that are really, really heavy, and, and Isaiah, he warns the nation repeatedly, but the nation did not take to heart his warnings. And they were carried away into captivity. And you know, I, I wonder if we really take to heart the warnings. You know, like God is saying, you know, get right. Just get right. And the Holy Spirit puts his finger on something and, and, and we just don't 
do it. We don't. And we're like, you know what? I'm good. I'm good. God's, I'm, God's been gracious, and I'm fine. And you know, I don't have to give every area of my life to God. And, you know, and, and I'll tell you what. They didn't listen to the warnings, and they paid the price. You know, we have to listen to the warnings of God, and we have to respond to the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you guys a, a funny story that happened to me today that, um, you know, when I go walking, I don't like to carry a whole bunch of keys in my pocket because my shorts are really light, you know? They're really light. And so what I do is I take off a single key, it's my house key, and I put it on my pocket, right? And we walk and we go different places to our friend's house and stuff. And my wife, she always tells me, I think it's like 137 times now, she told me, don't do that. She said, don't do that because you're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. And I you know, I, not that I was being, you know, rebellious, but maybe I was. I just said, um, I'm sure, you know, sure enough, today I lost the key. I lost the key to our front door. Now, here's the thing about it that's, that's it's probably more important, is that not only did my wife tell me this, but the Holy Spirit kept telling me this. I, uh, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating. I felt like the Holy Spirit kept telling me, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And I was not listening until finally, you know, the day comes and, and we lost it. And so, you know, the key's out there and we're, we're, I, I'm just like so upset with myself because I was saying, Lord, I didn't listen to the warning, the warning of my wife and the warning of the Holy Spirit because I know, I know it was both. I know the voice of God. I'm a sheep. Sheep hear the shepherd's voice. I know he was warning me, and I didn't listen. And you know, what, what, do you, what can happen with that key? Someone can go in our front door. You know, or we worse. I, well, I don't know if it's worse, but I was even thinking maybe our friend's dog ate it, and you know, who knows what can happen, stuff like that. And so we were looking all day long, praying. Shelly was saying, I told you so, uh, about <laughs> a lot, kind of like that. And anyways, by the grace of God, she found it in the grass. And I'm so happy for his grace. We should put a clap for that, huh? No, I'm just <laughs> But then she asked me, she said, okay, are you going to do that again? I said, no, no. <laughs> I don't care if I got these big old things in my pocket. I am going to learn my lesson. And, uh, you know, God shows us grace sometimes, but, but I, I, I just, it was a bigger lesson for me. It was more than keys. It was a lesson that said, listen to the warnings. That's what I felt God was saying to me. And we're going to see that in the book of Isaiah. You know, we're going to see it's a heavy book. Um, we're going to see especially in the first 39 chapters. And so um, when it comes to these things, we have so much uh, in the book. We're going to see it's also a very prophetic book as far as the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, one guy, Leon Wood, in his book, in The Prophets of Israel, he said it seems fair to say that God told him more regarding the Messiah than he did to any man, any other man in the Old Testament. And so as we study the book of Isaiah, even though it's Old Testament, you're going to see there is tons, tons about Jesus. Can you guys think of any prophecies in Isaiah about Jesus? Can you guys think of some? I'm sure you can, huh? Isaiah 7, 14, he was born of a virgin. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government and his kingdom will be forever. Yeah, Isaiah chapter 11, he's the root and branch of, of Jesse. And when you look at so many, Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12, the suffering servant, so detailed in what Jesus would do for us on the cross. Isaiah 61, uh, 1 and 2, remember that passage? The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, Jesus said, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. And, you know, on and on, there Jesus quoted that in Luke chapter 4, 17 through 20. Like I said, out of the 365 prophecies of Christ in the Old Testament, 131 of them are from the book of Isaiah, then labeled in the New Testament. And so um, one last thing, uh, as far as the what goes, because as you guys start studying the book of Isaiah, you're probably going to come across this, that some say that there was more than one Isaiah who wrote the book. Some say there were two Isaiahs or 
Some say there are even three Isaiahs because when you read the book, you see, first of all, the, the section of their writing to the nation before they went into captivity. And then there seems to be a shift. We're going to see in chapter 40, one writing to the nation while in captivity. And then there seems to be another shift writing to the nation post-exilic after captivity. And so, you know, some say there were more than one Isaiah, maybe two, maybe three and the only reason they say that, the primary reason they say that is because they don't believe in the power of God's prophets to prophesy the future, which is exactly what Isaiah did. Isaiah prophesied 96 years before Babylon was even a power that they would one day conquer uh, Judah, they would conquer Jerusalem. And there's a lot of other prophecies we see that Isaiah spoke. And so for us in reading the book, uh, we don't believe there was one or two or three Isaiahs, only one. Um, there's no substance to their claim because although there are distinctions in the writing between the first and second half, there are also unique similarities. For example, the phrase, the Holy One of Israel. You guys remember that beautiful phrase, the Holy One of Israel, is found 26 times in Isaiah, 13 in the first portion, 13 in the latter portion. And so that shows the synchronicity of the book. That's 26 times in Isaiah and only 31 times in the rest of the Bible. And so we see uh, no hint of numerous authors. Uh, even in the New Testament, you're going to see there's 83 allusions to Isaiah, 50 quotations, 22 mentions of his name, and none of them have anything to say about different Isaiahs. Okay, so there's one Isaiah, and the Lord did such a great work through him. Another thing I want to mention is the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, you guys are probably familiar with the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? Have you, how many of you have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Okay, so I just want to wake you up just real quick, all right? Um, 1947, in the caves of Qumran, there, as you go to Israel, it's kind of cool because just on the side of the, the Dead Sea, you'll see uh, the caves right there where these uh, boys, their little uh, goat, uh, straight away, they threw a rock at it, trying to get it to come back. And what ended up happening was they broke a clay vessel in there. They heard it, and so they climbed up, and they went, and they found these ancient manuscripts, of some of them 2,000 years old. Amongst them, the entire scroll of the book of Isaiah. And it's an amazing, uh, amazing thing, because when you look at it, it was the only, only other Old Testament book that was completely intact and it is 99% accurate to what we have in our Bibles today. And so it's the testimony of how they have, God has kept and preserved his word throughout history. It's a beautiful thing to see. And something I thought that was interesting, it was written on a beautiful um, 17 sheets of leather sewed together. It consists of 54 columns. That's about a foot in height and 24 feet long. And it's, uh, it's so cool, um, not divided into three sections, all one book, just like we have in our Bible. If you're interested, you can actually read the scroll online. You can actually read, what they do online is they take the scroll, they have it on the computer, and you can actually click, because remember Hebrews, they go from this way to that way, and you can click on the verse, and it'll show you the English translation of that verse and so there's we think we have the website right here if you guys don't get it you can hit me up afterwards and i'll show it to you i thought it was kind of cool really really fascinating uh, to see now some say the book of isaiah reminds us of the bible as a whole because um, there are 66 chapters in the book of isaiah just like there are 66 books in the uh, bible uh, there are 39 old testament books 27 New Testament books. Well, there are 39 chapters in the book of Isaiah that have to do more with the law and the holiness of God and kind of like the judgment of God, kind of like the Old Testament in, in a nutshell. But then you have the 27 um, chapters of Isaiah as you go through uh, 40 and forward that are just beautiful, man, just amazing. And they kind of parallel the New Testament. And so you guys are going to see that as we go through uh, many of the prophecies in the first half of Isaiah warn the kingdoms of Israel and Judah and the surrounding nations of impending judgment and destruction. Um, and again, the most prominent sins of the nations are pride, idolatry, and oppression of the poor and downcast. 
But even though, we're going to see it today, in the midst of all the warnings, in the midst of all the warnings, hey, Manny, you better not take your key off your keychain. You better get your life right. That thing, that person, you got to get it right. Whatever it is that God is dealing with in your life, in the midst of all the warnings, the prophet Isaiah offers words of comfort and hope to those who humble themselves before the Lord and, and then you know, they just get right in their relationship with God. We're going to see that becomes prevalent in the second half of the book. Okay, so the who, the what, the where of Isaiah. The where is Judah and Jerusalem primarily. So, you know, you, it's always good when we go through the prophets. Remember, there are 17 prophets that, you know, Lord willing, will cover probably in the next two years. And so 17 prophets, and it's always good to know who they wrote to. Uh, I, Isaiah primarily wrote to the southern kingdom of Judah and, and the city of Jerusalem. But just as we often hear the messages of pastors from other congregations or even preachers from other nations, there's no doubt in my mind that Isaiah's message uh, reached uh, the northern kingdom of Israel and reached even probably the rest of the world. Now, now something interesting to keep in mind, okay? Uh, Isaiah started, we're going to see, during the reign of Uzziah. Um, um, we don't know exactly when, but as you go through and you see Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, you're going to see that Isaiah actually prophesied during the time that Israel, the northern kingdom, was conquered by Assyria. And so we're going to see as we go through that Isaiah warned Israel for 23 years. He warned them for 23 years, and they did not change. And so God took them away by the Assyrians. And then he warned the southern kingdom for the rest of his ministry, and they did not change. And then they were eventually conquered by the Babylonians. So the where is Judah and Jerusalem, but again, extends out into other places. When? So we have a, a chart for, for when it took place. And so we're going to see in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, that he prophesied during the reigns of four kings. And so... Um, what we'll see, if you, in case you're interested, if you really want to get the background to the book of Isaiah, you can actually read Second Chronicles 26 through 32, and you're going to get the southern kingdom uh, situation. If you read Second Kings 14 through 20, you'll get both kingdoms. You'll get the background. What was the flavor? What was going on in those days? You'll get the background to uh, when Isaiah prophesied. And you see the four kings here, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. It's, a, it's, a, it's from 787 to 697 was their full reigns. More than likely, though, Isaiah kind of came along towards the end of Uzziah's reign. As a matter of fact, some say that's when it started. In Isaiah 6, it says in the year that King Uzziah died. But we're not sure, probably a little bit earlier. And, and then probably a little later beyond Hezekiah, because it was, according to tradition, that Manasseh um, killed him. As a matter of fact, Isaiah wrote a summary of the life of Manasseh, and we're going to see other verses that seem to point it went a little farther. In case you're interested, as far as the contemporary prophets, uh, during Isaiah's prophecies, uh, they were these guys, Micah and Hosea. And so the who, the what, the where, the when, and then the why. Why did God raise up this guy, Isaiah? And I mean, you know, of course, there's much more to it, but it's because of uh, he wanted to warn his people about the judgment. Now, we are here today, and um, you might need to be warned. I might need to be warned. Maybe the Holy Spirit's been saying, you know what, you need to repent. You need to get right in this area of your life because if you don't get right, you're going to get judged. You're going to get disciplined. You know, so there is that. So it can happen in a personal way, but it can also happen in a national way. And I believe that our nation, man, our nation is, is headed for judgment. I mean, what we see going on right now and the way that we are so... What we used to do in the back alleys was now strutting down Main Street in God's face. And so we need to hear the warnings, huh? Because who knows, man? I was thinking about it this way when I was spending time with the Lord. I was like, okay, Lord, 
how can we like change a nation? How can we change a nation? And the Lord just told me, well, you can't, I can, but it does start with you. It's kind of like, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, right? And how do you change a nation? One person at a time. Imagine if everybody in this sanctuary just laid down their life. Everybody in this sanctuary said, you know what? Because we're going to talk about it today, how so many are half-hearted. And, and when you really think about it, I think that happens a lot in the church. And, and what God is saying here is, hey, man, we have to make sure that as we get right, as I get right, I don't know about you because that's a personal decision you have to make, but one person at a time. You just never know what God can do. But I do know that the warning is there. You know, we need to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. So Isaiah is, number one, a warning, but number two, it's also a wooing, a wooing. As a matter of fact, I want you to turn to Isaiah 63. Isaiah is a warning of God's judgment, and it's a wooing with God's love. He says in, in verse 7 of Isaiah 63, 7, I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord has bestowed on us. And, and then if you look down at verse 9, it says, In all their affliction he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them and he bore them and carried them all the days of old. You know, and we're going to see as we go through the book of Isaiah that, that that's the God that is warning us. He's the God that's wooing us. He's the God that's carrying us. He's the God that when we get afflicted, he gets afflicted. We're going to see the picture of this amazing God, this beautiful balance between the Old and New Testament, beautiful balance between law and, and grace and, and this holiness and love. This is what Isaiah is. You know, what we find, who, what, where, when, why, and then how. How did Isaiah do it? Well, I just have to share with you 2 Peter 1, 19 through 21. And so we have the prophetic word confirm what you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises where? In your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And this is what we have in front of us. You know, preserved in the Dead Sea Scrolls, 99% is an amazing book that is saturated throughout the Old Testament. Man, 131 prophecies of Jesus himself. I mean, this is an amazing book. How did it happen? I mean, this book is anointed by the Holy Spirit. Now, we just got done with Song of Solomon. That was hard. And Ecclesiastes, that was hard. And I believe they were anointed by the Holy Spirit because uh, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, but those were hard. <laughs> this right here, when you read it, um, you guys are going to see, wow, I'm so blessed that I studied this book. I was talking to my wife the other day and we were just talking about how in order for, this, there's a reason why God gave us the Bible. There's a reason we in this generation have the Bible. And, and we were talking about how in order for you to stay strong in such a dark world, you can't just read the Bible. You're going to have to study it. You're going to have to dig in. You're going to have to pray over it. I believe that. And God's given us so many resources to study. It's worth it. It's much better than, I think, a lot of the other things that we're engaged in. And so if we study the book of Isaiah, uh, it'll, I think it'll be a blessing. And so let's start off in verse 1, Isaiah 1. It says, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, there's, there's the location, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. And so it's a vision. That means these are things that God showed him. 
their divine insight, supernatural communication from the Creator. This is what this book is. He's a son of Amos, and and regarding the fact that he's there prophesying in Judah and Jerusalem, it doesn't mean that the rest of the nations didn't hear. They they definitely did. You know, we see the four kings that are mentioned there, and we already talked a little bit about that. And then in verse 2, he says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. And this is kind of like a courtroom setting. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Any of you guys have any kids like that? (laughs) I'm just joking. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not consider. They do not understand. God is saying to Israel, God is saying to the United States of America that you're, in one sense, you're worse than these domesticated animals. At least they know who owns them. At least they know who provides for them, who feeds them, who birthed them. God is saying, that's what you guys are. You know, these are children who have forsaken the Lord and provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. You guys, I I don't know if you have a fear of God inside of you, but you should. You know, because I tell you what, we're going to see it later. If you're obedient, God will bless. But if you choose to go your own way, man, you're headed for, for God's discipline. And that's why we need to take this book and just get right. You know, look what it says in verse 5. Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick. The whole heart faints from the sole of the foot even to the head. That's, I mean, top to bottom. There is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. Basically, what God is saying is the difficulties that they had been experiencing was because of their disobedience. They had been disciplined, but they still rebelled. Any of you guys have any children like that? It seems like the more you spank them, it it doesn't do any good, you know? They just harden their hearts sometimes. God says, that's you. That's you. That's this nation. The head, the heart, from top to bottom, they weren't healing. They weren't growing. They weren't getting any better. There was no recovery because there was no repentance. He says in verse 7, your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Strangers devour your land in your presence, and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. I'm sorry, but I can't help but think of our nation. So the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard, as a hut in the garden of cucumbers, as a, as a besieged city. Unless the Lord of hosts had left us a remnant, a small, very small remnant, we would have been like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. What happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? They got that thrash, devastated by the fire and brimstone, right? And so, you know, the country was, was suffering because of the fact that they were not right with God. He describes them there as a booth in a vineyard or a hut in the garden where the farm workers were. Um, I remember going down deep into Mexico, in Vizcaína, Mexico, and you guys probably know this, but in Baja, California, right there, there is this tons of farming going on, tons. And we went to uh, farm place after farm place, and I remember um, one where we went to and we got to minister to all the, the kids and all the families that were working there in these little tiny huts that they lived in. They didn't own the land, but they worked like dogs. And God is saying, that's you. That's what's going to happen to you because they were not living right with God. You know, he gives just the, the details here. Verse 10 he says, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of God, our God, you people of Gomorrah. And of course, it's not literal. It's not Sodom and Gomorrah. He's calling them that, though. That's the way he sees them in one sense. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. 
I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? And, and what God is now going to begin to get into is the fact that they were very religious. They were very religious. They went to church, and I, no, I'm not messing with you guys. I'm just saying, okay, just as an example, okay? They went to church on Thursdays and Sundays, and, you know, they probably read through the Bible in, in the year, and they prayed probably more than most of you. But, but you know what else? There was a big part of their life that was worshiping other gods. Because you can worship the god of mammon. You can worship Baal. Baal was the god of, you know, the skies and provision and fertility and sexuality. And they worshiped Jehovah God. But they also worshipped other gods. Now, you might not have statues in your house or whatever, but we can very easily worship those demons and those gods. And so what God is saying is, you know, you're coming and you're doing all the, the religious stuff, but where are you really? Really, where, where are we? You know, and, and for some of you, when you get with the Lord and he tells you where you are, it's going to be good news. I know that. None of us are perfect. None of us are. But is there anything the Holy Spirit's been warning you about or putting his finger on it? And you just keep doing it because he has not disciplined you or smashed you yet. You know, eventually, if we know it's against God's word, it'll happen. The Bible says your sin will find you out. So, you know, the religious stuff, he's not, um, he doesn't like it. Look at verse 13. Bring no more futile sacrifices Incense, which is symbolic of prayer, is an abomination to me. The, the new moons, the Sabbaths, and the callings of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meetings. Your, your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them, God says. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. And so, you know, again, just, just referencing the fact that they had these religious stuff, the prayers, the holidays, and God just said, I'm so tired of it. It wearies me. And I, this is God. He can take a lot. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, it talks about how sometimes God can't hear our prayers because there's, there's sin in our life. You know, when I read this right here, I don't think of your typical sinner. I don't think of like the guy who's struggling in certain ways. I think of the Pharisee. I really do. They're, they're, people can be so legalistic. You know, and I've seen them with their noses up in the air, looking down on everyone else and thinking they're the Holy Spirit and judging everyone else. And they're so religious. And God just says, you know what? That nauseates me. I mean, we're going to see in Matthew 15, 7 through 8, Jesus taught to them. He said, hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You guys, maybe we need to just slow down a little bit. Doing all the religious stuff. I don't know where you're at, but just and make sure our heart is right that's what's important you know it's so easy if you get caught up in it and that's why i said like i i was examining my life because i'm a pastor and i'm so involved in ministry because you're doing it all the time it's not piercing your heart anymore that can happen they say the dangerous thing is when you're familiar with the outside of holy things and so i love the counsel look what the lord says in verse 16 Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. God sees it all. Cease to do evil. And I like this, learn to do good. I like that. Seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. I mean, we're, we're talking about praying for the widow. It's kind of cool. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. It's like he's saying, don't just go to church. You know, be the church. 
follow through with the meanings of those offerings. The burnt offering means that you're completely consecrated to God. That's what that means. So you do the burnt offering, question, are you? You know, when he's talking about the fat, giving that, the fat to God, that's the, the best. You give, it, you give the best to God. I, I like what he says, learn to do good. Because when Jesus was talking to the people, that's what he said. He said, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So you, you learn from Jesus. Okay, Lord, uh, what do I need to do? I'm, I'm going to stop. Whatever it is. And this is so easy. Ryan was talking about that when he was here. Whatever the sin is, whatever the struggle, just stop it, you know? And, and we learn and learn to do good. Our sins, man, they can be as scarlet. I love this. Come now and let us reason together. I wish we had more time. This is like, so a lot of people will use this as the verse of the whole book of Isaiah. Um, you know, come, let's, let's reason together. If we just turn from our sin and our empty religion, no matter how bad the sins may be, God will make me as white as snow. H.A. Ironside said, No more blessed proclamation of full amnesty is found in all the Bible than in this lovely verse. It is the offer of full judicial cleansing for every repentant soul, no matter how grievous his record may have been. Well may Isaiah have been called the evangelical prophet. Come. Maybe you're here tonight. I mean, um, Thursday night, probably not, but you just never know. There might be one person here tonight, and you're just, you're just as scarlet, you're just as red, and all those sins. And the enemy might be saying, you can't be forgiven. There's no hope for you. I don't even know why you're here. And God just says, Come. Let's talk about this. If you would be willing to turn and trust Jesus, then you can find forgiveness and you will be without sin. Imagine that. And so he says in verse 19, there's a promise. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now that's the simplicity of it. That's the whole thing of what we're talking about, right? He's saying there's the choice before you, uh, and so we have to accept the consequences of our choices. In verse 21, he says, how faithful, the faithful city has become a harlot. It was full of justice, righteousness lodged in it, but now murders. Your silver has become dross, your wine watered down, mixed with water. Your princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loves bribes and follows after money or rewards. They do not defend the fatherless, nor does the cause of the widow come before them. And we were talking about that in James 2, huh? Pure and undefiled religion is this. It's very practical, helping the helpless, right? And these people were not doing that. Therefore, verse 24, the Lord says, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, ah, I will rid myself of my adversaries and take vengeance on my enemies. I will turn my hand against you and thoroughly purge away your dross and take away all your alloy. I'll restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed with justice and her penitence with righteousness. And what we see here is Israel started off well, but God's bride became a harlot and Jerusalem was no longer a just city. They were impure. And so what God is saying is, I'm going to deal with you. And it would be a discipline but it would be a discipline that would be a cleansing for them. And so we read in verse 28, we'll close with this, the destruction of transgressors and of sinners shall be together. And those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed, for they shall be ashamed of the terebinth trees which you have desired, and you shall be embarrassed because of the gardens which you have chosen. For you shall be as a terebinth 
whose leaf fades and as a garden that has no water. The strong shall be as tinder and the work of it as a spark. Both will burn together and no one shall quench them. And so the Lord, he just here, he, he gives a warning, you know, of the destruction of transgressors and sinners who don't, you know, turn to the Lord. You know, he doesn't mince words. Um, when I was in the world, I used to listen a lot to a song by Van Halen. It was called um, Mean Street. Have you guys ever heard that song, Mean Street? Some of you guys have, right? And uh, in the song, he, he talks about how, you know, there's a lot of guns, a lot of violence, a lot of crazy things that would go on. But then he said, and someone said, fair warning. You know, and, you know, fair warning. What are you talking about, fair warning? And then David Lee Roth, he's a singer of Van Halen, said, Lord, strike that poor boy down. And then there was, what he's saying is that you don't give people fair warning. I mean, when you're in the neighborhood, when you're fighting like that, you don't give people fair warning. That's the name of the album. But God does. God says, you know, Manny, I, I've been warning you, or whoever it is, I've been warning you. United States of America, I've been warning you. And, and, and as he warns us, I pray that he would also woo us with that. Because that's what God wants for us. You know, we, we come to church, that's cool. That, that's a portion of our, of our life. How many hours does it take to do that, really? To come to church service, maybe you're here three hours a week, maybe you read your Bible, I don't know, two hours and pray an hour, I don't know. I don't know, it's not about numbers per se, but there's this portion of your life, yeah, I'm a Christian, yeah, I'm a believer, but, but what about the rest of your life? What about the true, like, who you really are to the core? What's the Holy Spirit been saying? You know, the terebinth trees right here, they were oak trees. They were trees wherein they would worship Baal. They had other gods. You know, Jesus talked about that. You can't worship two masters because eventually the truth will come out. Isaiah, I mean, Elijah, in 1 Kings 18, 21, he, he came to all the people and he said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. You know, the Lord talked about that in the book of Revelation. You know, I wish you were hot or cold, but you're kind of lukewarm. And so I'm going to have to vomit you out of my mouth. And so my prayer, you guys, is that we would be on fire for the Lord. None of us are going to be perfect. But, you know, we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. As God warns us, as God woos us, as God wants all of us, that we would have this heart. You know, I think that's what the book of Isaiah wants to do to us. And so prayerfully, uh, let's make sure that we um, come to him. And if you're here today and, you know, you, you find yourself with sins that are like scarlet, I pray that today you would make a decision to follow Jesus Christ because he will make you as white as snow. Something interesting, the word salvation occurs 26 times in the book of Isaiah and only seven times in all the other prophets combined. So this is definitely one of those books where God wants to bring salvation.